Thank you so much, Brother Owen. And to God be the glory for what great things he's done. I just get to do um, to serve in ministry. I'm grateful that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, as the Apostle Paul told, the church, um, told his son of faith, Timothy. Well, tonight, if you would, take your Bibles with me to the Old Testament book of the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter number 11. I'm not sure how many of you folks recall, um, but when uh, Dr. Arbiolette was last here for our anniversary conference and challenged us about our Bible reading, you know, it's one thing I'm grateful that our church provides for us. You know, um, how many folks utilize that little trifold about your Bible reading schedule? Anybody have ever used that before? Okay, a couple of you folks, grateful for that um, helps out. And right, it sets for you a reading schedule so that you can read through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation from cover to cover in one year's time. And when I first heard of that when I was a teenager, I thought, man, that's great. Wouldn't that be a feat to be able to read through the Bible in one year's time? And then here comes Dr. Arbulet says, I read my Bible through every month. And I'm thinking, oh, man. Um, but, you know, it, it was just a challenge. And it wasn't so much that a challenge like, well, I can do better, I can do more. For myself, I know that it's been a challenge for myself. First time I ever read through my Bible, I was probably 16 years old. And I, I'll be honest with you, it was a task. How many folks have ever been there? Man, it's just a task to make sure that you get up. But you know what it set forth for me? It set forth a very good habit and routine, knowing that not only did I have something to check off on my list, but the more I read God's Word, the more God got a hold of me. And I found that the more I read the Word of God, despite how many times I've read through it, I've read through the Word of God at least a few, uh, at least a hundred times in my lifetime um, at, at to this point. And while I was reading through my Bible here, I was coming back here, and I love the Old Testament, particularly because I, I like knowing um, where we've come so that we can determine where we're headed. And in Numbers chapter number 11, you'll, for those of you folks who are familiar with this passage, it's not a passage one that can put the Israelites in the greatest of lights, if you know what I mean. And this is where I want to pick up here. And if you'll notice the outline title, Beware the Good Old Days. How many folks have ever used that? Or perhaps maybe you've been the recipient of, of somebody else's monologue, such as my grandparents. And, hey, I remember, AJ, the good old days and so on and so forth. And I'll get to that here in just a moment. But I want you to keep this in mind. What does that mean? I'll explain my definitions and what I mean by this um, by this reference and this colloquialism we call the good old days. But in order to do so, I want to take a biblical perspective, and it's found in Numbers chapter number 11. We'll read just the first six verses here, our reference tonight, and of course we'll be utilizing the Word of God. I want to be able to help us here as we read through this narrative. As you do so, as Brother Irwin had just prayed a moment ago, I asked, I've been asking God not only for the Spirit's filling in my life, but for you, the listener, as well. Because, friend... You are, you are going to miss out if you leave the same person as you first came. And I'm, it's my heart's desire that when you leave this place, you know you've met with God, not because Pastor AJ preached the message or because an outline um, was given to you, but because the Word of God had free course in your hearts and minds. And that's what I'm asking here this evening. Numbers chapter number 11, begin verse number 1. The Bible reads, And when the people complained, who, how often do we find our, ourselves in that narrative? It displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, which we, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. They're throwing a tantrum here, isn't it? There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Free food, and we don't like it. We'd rather have the fish in slavery with the leeks and onions and the cucumbers and melons in slavery, yep. with the taskmasters. And I don't know where they got this term, freely. Yeah. Go ahead, Come on. But friends, they were stuck in the good old, good old days, so to speak, weren't they? 
Troubling times and undesirable circumstances have a way of clouding or distorting our perception of reality, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to our past. Paying a trip to memory lane is fine, but desiring to live in the good old days and complaining about our current situation whilst ignoring all the great things the Lord has done and is doing in our lives is detrimental to our Christian lives, friends. It prevents us from going forward for the Lord and makes us susceptible to growing complacent and eventually hardening our hearts to the things of God. So as I open a word of prayer this evening, I want you to consider what we just read in this narrative. And though we are reading this of the people of Israel, friends, think it not that this cannot happen if it's not already happening to us. Beware the good old days. Father, I thank you so very much for the word by which, Lord, we have our authority by which also, Father God, we have the confidence to live our lives. And it's, Lord, by thy word, I pray, Father God, and not in my own strength, nor in my own authority, but the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray now that you'd please undertake for these, your people. Enable me, Father God, anoint me, my, my thoughts and my lips, that I might speak, as it be the oracles of God. And as Brother Irwin had mentioned a, a moment ago, that I speak only those things, not a moment, uh, Lord, not anything more or less than what you would have me for these, your people. I thank you so much, Lord, for how this message and the preparation of it, but also the application of it has already changed my life. I pray you would do likewise for these, uh, Lord, my brethren and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for these things now, if you ask Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. I wonder how many of us have ever been in a situation where your circumstances were less than pleasant. Maybe it was already on the, on the way here whilst in traffic. It may not have been amidst a natural disaster like the devastating wildfires or the hurricanes in the south or the polar vortex in the Midwestern states. But to us, in that moment in time, it was not a place you wanted to be. Perhaps an unfortunate circumstance was that time, like myself recently, had to wait in line at the most undesirable institution for hours on end. The Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> right? As if it was some flattering way, please take your number, only to be reminded they're calling G053, and your number is in the triple digits. And by the way, they're not even the letter G's yet. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'll be the first to confess here, I have lost my patience. And it was a little hard, though I had tracks in my shirt pockets, I didn't feel inclined to be... Very Christian-like in those moments, have you? Perhaps maybe much like yourself, like the children of Israel, we find ourselves griping. I could be doing so much more if I wasn't for this. You know, I recall a story of a person who, who lived through the Great Depression in America. For those of you folks familiar with that, in the year 1929 to 1939, right after the Roaring Twenties, when the stock markets crashed, and I remember hearing about this particular family. Before they had died, they had well over a million dollars in their bank account, a nice house, nothing to lack regarding physical needs, and yet they would often complain to their children and grandchildren how it was so much better in the good old days. Oh, friends, the good old days represent our human sinful nature and our propensity to be ungrateful and discontented. It is the chink in the Christian's armor, if you will, that the devil will always exploit, causing our carnal tendencies, complaining, criticizing, and comparing to overwhelm us to the point where we are blinded to all the many blessings that are right in front of us. How many of us have ever been blinded for need of want? I'm going to ask you this way. How many folks have ever wanted something so badly that once you got it, you actually didn't want it as much as you first did? And then we look to those, oh, the good old days before I had this new technological device. Oh, the good old days when I didn't have it. Standing in the good old days is like standing in the middle of a room filled with mirrors. They block us from seeing all the good in our lives. And it causes us to focus on ourselves and all of our woes. Thus, generating an ungrateful attitude and a heart of discontentment and griping towards the Lord and all, that he, all his wonders. Paul warned Timothy of such a spirit in this time and age, and it's prevalent even still today. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 5, the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such. Turn away. Oh, friends, tonight I want us to delve into the phenomenon I call the good old days, and see three timeless truths that we can apply so that we don't become stuck in the good old days and stop going forward for God's glory. Notice me first and foremost in our text here we read of a misplaced attention. A misplaced attention. How many folks here are Sunday school teachers or maybe perhaps teachers by trade? May I see your hands? Can I tell you this? I tip my hat off to you because I have three children in your ministries. And for that alone, I'm, I'm so grateful for your patience, for your enduring um, love and compassion towards them. Thank you. Why? Because I am their father. And as such, um, oftentimes, if anything or anybody can try my patience, I find it is oftentimes my own children. And parents, how many folks can attest to that sometimes, right? It seems like they're perfect. They're perfect amongst their own teachers and amongst their peers. But the moment they get home, something, there's a, this, a, um, suddenly there is a fraction, uh, a fracture going on here. And you ask yourself, what happened to my angel of a child of which my Sunday school teachers and other um, school teachers had reported? But friends, can I tell you here often, I find here where children often wander and go astray is because of misplaced attention. Right? It's like, hey, pay attention, kids. Look here. They, they say that the, the average time span for any obedient child, I don't know where they get the numbers from, is about seven minutes. I find that difficult for even some, some um, adults sometimes. But friends, can I tell you this is as such, that's why in teaching, I've learned real quickly to be very animated, to use visuals and to recount and to tell the story within your own words and maybe uh, to role play it out for yourself. But friends, can I tell you this? As we read here in this passage, there were some secret grudgings and discontents among the Israelites. They allowed their current unfortunate circumstance to overshadow their past struggle. In the previous chapters, we just read in chapter 10, and they departed from the mount of the Lord. They began to quarrel with God himself. The children of Israel had just received the law and had found the weakness of the law through their flesh. The law discovered sin but could not destroy it, checked it but it could not conquer it. In this misplaced attention, I see first and foremost, friends, a complaining rhetoric. A complaining rhetoric. It's amazing, isn't it? Almost fascinating to hear the many different ways humans can complain. And it's almost as if it was a misplaced positive comment. Oh, well, at least I'm glad I don't have to repeat this process again. Glad I only come to church Sunday mornings. Oh, friends, can I tell you this? Oftentimes... We, if we're not careful, the attentions, if it's not placed upon God in his word, can f very easily turn introspectly. And in doing so, me, myself, and I will always take prominence within our hearts. This complaining rhetoric we read in verse number 1, and when the people complained, notice it displeased the Lord. How could a people who were recently freed from slavery complain about God's provision and direction? They were furnished with so much matter for thanksgiving. I found that those uh, that are of a fretful, discontented spirit will always find something or other to quarrel with, though their current circumstances are far more favorable than so many others. You find the person here who complains that the, th the seven cars that they have in their car garage is not sufficient because they don't, they don't have the color that they wanted in, their in the first place. I recall recently as a, I was picking up my, my writers in Dublin last Friday, excuse me, two Fridays ago, and as I pulled on over here to um, receive some, um, to pull up some, to, to fuel up the church vehicle, I found it comical. First and foremost, the, the person that was in front of me, pulled up in front of me, was driving a Tesla. And she was frustrated, started kicking the tires on her car because she couldn't find the gas port. And I'm thinking to myself, lady, I'll switch vehicles with you. 
But all joking aside, friends, in reality, isn't that just typical of humanity? With all that we have, we always find that which to complain. We've read of the Israelites murmuring several times when they first came out of Egypt in Exodus 15, 16, and 17. But we don't read of any retribution inflicted on them for their murmurings, as there is at this point. For now they had had great experience of God's care of them, which made their distrust of him even so much the more inexcusable. Oh friends, can I tell you this? We have been so blessed of God, especially we who live in America. I still have relatives in the Philippines who still live, have no running water, no electricity. And guess what? They have some of the most happiest people. I remember as a um, I forgot who it was, but a missionary came by here and he talked to our, our students on a Friday night and told us, here, kids, you know what the problem is here? We got way too many first world problems. Oh, I don't have Wi-Fi. The pixels on my phone aren't sufficient. Nobody thumbs up my YouTube video. Nobody, nobody new friended me on Facebook. Oh, friends, can I tell you this? First world problems, second world problems, I don't care what it may be. God says here, murmuring is something that God despises. It is inexcusable, especially we who have been the recipients of such a great favor here in America. But what caused this complaining rhetoric in their lives? First and foremost, I see that they forgot the severity of their past bondage. Why would the Israelites say such statements such as, it were better that we were back in Egypt? Surely they recalled their slavery for over 400 years, right? I'm sure they had not forgotten about their horrible taskmasters that made them to work in the hot burning desert with little to no resources. As slaves, they had no rights. They weren't seen as other human beings, but merely as beasts of burden. If it only took one generation of pharaohs to forget the great works of God through Joseph, the deliverer from seven years of famine, I'm sure that the Israelites, to the same extent, had followed the same pattern. And unfortunately, it was a similar pattern to that of the Egyptians. All one stem by fear. In Exodus chapter 3, we see the generation that knew not Joseph. But I'm reminded also in Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Herein lies the struggle with most people. We as people, we as humans, are quick to give in to fear more than our trust for God. And isn't it amazing, friends? Stop for a moment. We say when we, that moment we got saved, that Lord, I trust you for my eternal destination. But often we struggle for just the very next day's needs, don't we? Here in verse number 5, we see that... Um, they, 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 were, they make a false recollection. They say, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. They cry out and say, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, they, they magnify the plenty and dainties they had had in Egypt as if God had done them a great deal of wrong in his deliverance of them from Egypt. While they were in Egypt, they sighed by reason of their burdens, for their lives were made bitter to them with hard bondage, friends. And yet now they talk of Egypt as if they had lived like princes there. They were complaining about how it was better in the good old days when they were still slaves in Egypt, but with a face, they, can they talk of eating fish in Egypt freely, as if it cost them nothing when they paid so dearly for it with their hard labor? They remember the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, precious stuff indeed to be fond of. But they do not remember the brick kilns and the taskmasters, the voice of the oppressor and the smack of the whip. No, these are forgotten by these ungrateful people. They forgot their, the severity of the past bondage. But notice, secondly, friends, I see they forgot God's power. Turn with me to Psalms chapter number 78, if you would. In Psalm 78, he recalls this particular event as it resonates in Numbers chapter number 11. Beginning in verse number 11 of Psalm 78, the Bible reads, And they forgot, forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers and in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters stand up as an heap. And in the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought strings also out of the rock and caused, them, caused waters to run down like rivers. And notice verse 17, and they sin yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lusts. Yet they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? 
Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this. We saw it in Numbers 11.1, 1, and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob. Anger also came up against Israel. Oh, friends, we see from this passage, when they forgot God's power, they distrusted the power and the goodness of God as insufficient for their supply. I wonder what was it that caused us to have the same mindset? Maybe even today, friend. They said, who will give us flesh to eat? They took for granted God's power. And if we're not careful, friends, we can fall into the same trap, into the same mindset. They forgot the God that delivered them out of Egypt and provided a clear path on dry ground through the Red Sea. Egypt is a picture of the world as we know it. And the crossing the Red Sea is a picture of salvation for every believer. Oh, friends, we must never forget the day of our salvation. How glorious that day was. For, that, for in that moment, we pass from death to life, from enemies with God to joint heirs with Christ, from loss and destitute of hope to looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking for that blessed hope. Beloved, if it would serve us well to recall our Red Sea moment crossing days, let me ask you, do you recall the day of your salvation, friend? How often do you thank God for his unspeakable and undeserved gift of salvation through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ? Oh, it says here, they forgot his power. He forgot his works. It would do us well to hear, go back into some of our pastor's messages, maybe even some of our prayer journals or our blessing books, if you would, if you keep one. And to look back, hey, these are the days and the struggles by which we cried unto God. And look at how he has done. He's seen people not only added to this church, souls that are saved, marriages reconciled, but people added to the Lamb's book of life. Oh, friends, have we forgotten God's power? His power to save, his power to sustain. But friends, can I tell you this? His power also for us so that we might go forward for his glory. But notice thirdly, we see not only they forget the, the severity of their bondage, their past bondage, forgot God's power. But notice, friends, they forgot God's presence. Notice me in verse 14. In the daytime, also he led them with a cloud. And all the night with a light of fire. I was recently in contact with somebody in the southern states reporting of uh, telling us, hey, you know what, they had to be aware. They had to shore up their um, basements and their storm shelters. And I had to, of course, being a Californian as I am, ask him, what is a storm shelter? And he says, oh, that's right, I forgot, brother, you're a Californian. With almost some disdain in their voices. And it says, Here, we live in Tornado Valley. And it reminded me as I was reading through this passage, <coughs> excuse me, it says, Anytime you see a pillar of cloud, you don't stand and watch in awe. But here it was for the children of Israel in the middle of a desert. By day, the Lord's presence was manifested by a pillar of cloud. Can you imagine that, friends? I mean, stop in, in your mind's eye. Would you just deepen for a little bit of imagination there? Can you imagine over a million people? Which way do we go? We follow God's presence and the man of God, Moses, by that pillar of cloud. As it began to go, grow darker, can you imagine that cloud turning to a pillar of fire for us? Oh, friends... There to remind us that at any, mo any moment, it can consume us. But for the children of Israel, as they were guided, it was a light. It was a compass for direction. And yet, though God's presence was there in the very midst of their camp, they forgot his, his presence. Had the Israelites only had the same disposition and desire as Moses did in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 to 15, listen carefully as I read. It says this of Moses, and Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send me, with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by, my, by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. 
And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not a pence. When was the last time we said, Lord, I'm not moving without to that new job unless your presence is with me? Lord, I'm not moving to that, I'm not leaving this ministry until I know I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that I'm amidst your presence and that the peace of God is clearly evident in my life. Oh, friends, we see they were so consumed with their lustful desires that they were blinded to the truth. The psalmist in Psalm 16, 11 tells us, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. <coughs> Excuse me. See, this is the problem with our generation today, isn't it? We want fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore without God's presence. But God clearly says that, friend, says, my child, it does not work as such. We would do well to have the desires David did when he sought to make reconciliation with the Lord. In Psalms 51, 11, he tells us, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I fear that too many Christians today stray from the Lord, not for lack of knowledge, but for lack of desiring his presence in their daily lives. Oh, friends, at the end of this month, we will be having Evangelist Dwight Smith lead our revival conference. I must warn you, however, brethren, if we do not desire the presence of the Lord, we will not have revival, for revival is a renewal of God's presence in our lives. If we're not practicing and appropriating that truth in our lives today and tomorrow, we cannot dare expect it to drop because it's on our church calendar. Oh, friends, if we are going to recall God's power. If we're going to realign our misplaced attention, we cannot forget God's power. We cannot forget his presence, but notice we cannot forget God's provision. In verse 15 of Psalm 78, we read how he clave in the, the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. I don't know about you, if you know anything about Israel, one closest thing I've been to there is the city of Lancaster, California. If folks, you ever been there? Those who are chuckling, you've been there. Lancaster, California is not a thriving Bay Area. Okay? We have the Josh, uh, the, over there they have the Joshua Tree National Park. Over here we have the Great Redwoods. I don't know about you, I'd take the Redwoods any day over what my, my cousins might call the Devil's Q-Tips. Friends, can I tell you, as such, one thing that's a scarcity on the desert, you know what it is? Water. And yet we read here in Psalm 78, 15, the Lord provided them, he says here, to give them drink as out of the great depths. I've never came to realize just how important water is until you absolutely need it. I recall my time as serving there in, on relief effort for Hurricane Katrina there in Louisiana, New Orleans. As though people were surrounded by water, contaminated water, mind you, it was the very thing that neighbors were holding each other up for. Stealing, breaking into Red Cross developments for medicine and for water, packaged water and water filters. People are holding each other at gunpoint so they can only have clean drinking water. And here we read the children of Israel, they had it of the plenty. Where there was a need, God had always provided. Not just enough, but more than enough. They forgot God's provision, friends. If you'll notice back in our text in Numbers chapter number 11, in verse number 4, we read, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept. Notice that they wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Though they had been recently corrected for lusting and murmuring, and many of them overthrown for it, and the smell of fire was still in their nostrils, still they returned to it. They could not be satisfied unless they had flesh to eat. They brought flocks and herds with them in the great abundance out of Egypt. But, neither they, they were, but either they were covetous and did not want to decrease their property, or else they were curious. Beef and mutton would not please them. They must have something more nice and delicate, like the fish they declared they did eat in Egypt. Friends, the issue wasn't food. Food would not serve. They must be feasted. They had feasted with God upon the peace offerings which they had their share of. But it seems God did not keep a table good enough for them. 
They must have daintier bits than any that, that came to his altar. Sure, God provided them meat with manna once when he saw fit in Exodus 16. And they might have expected that they, he would do it again. And in mercy, however, if instead of murmuring, they had only gave thanks to God and prayed. Oh, so childish were the children of Israel. And so comical it would seem that they cried because they had not what they wouldn't have when they wanted it. It reminds me of uh, the many, many trips to the grocery store, to Walmart or Trader Joe's, of children crying at the grocery store because they want candy despite mom telling them that they could not get it. How many folks understand what I'm talking about there? That's the children of Israel. I want it. Do you not have food? Do you have to pay for that? They were, in essence, throwing attention and having a pity party. And God says, I don't want to have any attendance to that. It is an offense to God, by the way, friends, to let our desires go beyond our faith. We should never indulge ourselves in any desires which we cannot, in faith, turn into prayer. The children of Israel should serve as a lesson to us. Paul told this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things were, were written our, were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In verse number 6 of Numbers 11, they were sick of the good provision God made for them. Hear what they said, but now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Can you hear the disdain within their voices? They were sick of God's provision. Matthew Henry commented, it was bread from heaven, angels' food. To show how unreasonable their complaint was, it was ascribed as in verse 7 through 9, um, was a coriander seed, and the color of the was the color of bedlam. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as, as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the, si- in the night, the manna, manna fell upon it. It was good for food. And pleasant to the eye, every grain like an orient pearl. It was wholesome food and nourishing. It was not to be called dry bread, for it tasted like fresh oil, as the Bible says. It was agreeable, the Jews say, to every man's palate. It cost them no money, nor care. For it fell in the night while they slept, and the labor gathering was not worth speaking of. They lived upon free quarter, friends, and yet could talk of Egypt's cheapness, and the fish they ate there freely." The manna was, as God's compassion, new every morning, always fresh. While they lived on manna, it would seem they were exempted from the curse which sin has brought upon man, where it says that in the sweat of man's face should he eat bread. They were given to them every morning. And yet they speak of the manna with such scorn as if it were not good enough to be meat for pigs. They cried, our soul is dried away. They speak as if God dealt hardly with them in allowing them no better food. At first they admired it. They called it manna. What is this? What a curious, precious thing this is. But now they despised it. Oh, beware, friends. For any good thing, if it is not welcomed with godly contentment, will become a disdain within our very mouths. Foolish, discontented minds will always find fault with that which has no fault in it simply to communicate their carnal lusts. It is a very provoking thing to God to undervalue his favors and to put, and to put a but upon our common mercies. Nothing but manna. Those that might be very happy often make themselves very miserable by their discontentment. It's evidence, by the way, of the dominion of a carnal mind when we yearn to have all the delights and pleasures of, of this world, but we want nothing to do with the Lord. And worse, complain to him for that which we do not have simply because we want it, and we want it now. We see, friends, the children of Israel, they're complaining rhetoric, but they also see as follows suit a consuming response. Notice me, with me in verse number 1. The Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Verse 3, and he called the name of the place Tibera because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Notice this consuming response. First and foremost, it was righteous. 
Because first and foremost, the character of God. Friends, can I tell you, because God in his holiness, he cannot allow our sinful, lustful behaviors to torrentially reign over our lives. He must send forth righteous judgment. We read in this passage of God's just resentment of the affront given to him by these people's complaints. The word of God declares the Lord heard it, though it doesn't appear Moses did. Which reminds us, friends, that God knows the secret frettings and murmurings of our hearts, though they may be concealed from our fellows. The Lord was displeased with the murmuring of these ungrateful people. It is, not, it is wise to know that though God graciously gives us leave to complain to him, when there is cause, he is justly provoked if we complain of him when there is no cause. When we complain without cause, friends, you can be rest assured that God will give you a reason to, to complain. I recall my grandmother always telling me this, by the way, this is before she came to save knowledge of Jesus Christ. As a staunch Catholic, she said, she always told my siblings and I, my, even my cousins, quit your fretting. For God may very, very well take away that which you are fretting for. So I remember here, my grandmother would always tell us, hey, you know, when you get off to school, make sure that you, um, she would give us chores. And I'm grateful for that. So, man, I already got those at home. What's worse is I'm doing somebody else's house and I don't get paid for it. And I get no quarter here. She would tell us, hey, I want you to water my roses, AJ, and pick up your feet in doing so. What it means is don't, don't procrastinate, don't drag your feet in the matter, right? Post haste. And often, she would remind us, I'm like, oh, I would tell my grandmother, but Lola, my, my feet hurt. And at this point in time, she was on an oxygen tank with only but one lung. And then she showed us pictures, pictures of her family members farming on the hillsides of the Philippines. You know what I found real quickly? They had no legs. And then she asked me the question while I was looking at that picture. With my skin now turned pale white. AJ, would you like to switch places with them? Oh, friends, when we complain without cause, you can be assured that God will give you cause to complain. Notice it was a righteous judgment, but notice it also stood as a reminder. Verse 3 tells us this. The judgment of God came by way of a consuming fire, the Bible says. And the Bible says the fire of the Lord burnt among them. You'll notice that even amidst his righteous judgment, we also see God's mercy in it, don't we? The Bible tells us that the Lord's fire was directed at those in the uttermost parts of the camp. God's judgments came upon them gradually that they may take warning. Aren't you grateful for that, friends? That God amidst even our murmurings and our complaints, he is still merciful. A new name given here upon to the place to perpetuate the shame of a murmuring people and the honor of a righteous God. The place was called Tabera, a burning, that others might hear and fear and take warning not to sin as they did, lest it should smart as they did. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. We see a misplaced attention, but would you see, friends, a proper resolution? <coughs> Unfortunately, we don't read this proper resolution made amongst the children of Israel here tonight. But they did one thing somewhat right. In order to get at least ease the burden of their sufferings, I see first of all in verse number 2, the Bible says, And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. They sought out an interceder. They themselves could not rightfully come before a just and holy God, especially in the, in, in the spirit in which they were presenting their complaints. So they had to seek out an interceder. Their cry to Moses was, who was their tried intercessor. When he sl slew them, it was then they sought God. When Moses prayed unto the Lord, he was always ready to stand in the gap to turn away the wrath of God. God had respect to him. Beloved, we have a far greater interceder as children of the living God. Did you know that? The Bible tells in 2 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. When was the last time we came to our great interceder in prayer? 
We would do well to take time for, as a songwriter Alan Jackson wrote, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare. By thy return, sweet hour of prayer. You know, I sincerely believe this, especially since the practice of my own life, that that one hour of prayer, especially in the, at the start of my day, often regulates my hours of complaints. If we would only be more prone to the spiritual discipline of prayer, we would be better Christians and light bearers to those lost in darkness. You know, I'm grateful that we have a pastor that has an intimate relationship with God, that each time I have a prayer request, I know beyond a shadow of doubt and without hesitation that he has the ear of God Almighty. I'm also challenged to be such a man with God that I might offer up intercessory prayers for my family, for my relatives, my friends, my neighbors, for you folks. But a sad place to be when a Christian's prayers are nothing more than sounding brass to the holy ears of our Lord due to a broken fellowship with Him. Well, friends, how are we doing? How is your fellowship and walk with Him? If we're going to have proper resolution in our own lives, we must seek out the interceder. But notice, I see next, it must then follow with a submission to a spiritual authority. Pride always finds us first and foremost, will not accept or acknowledge it's wrong, much less subjugate itself to the authorities that are set before them. Confession must always be followed up with repentance, friends. And it's something I'm learning more and more in my, own, in my adult life. And if we are to, be, to benefit from any spiritual truth, we must also appropriate it in our lives. We must submit ourselves to the spiritual authorities in our lives. First, to that of the Word of God, and second, to that of our pastor. I'm sure that we can all agree that we are not lacking for good, sound, biblical, and compassionate preaching from our pastor. Amen? But the question is, brethren, beloved, are we appropriating the truths that are preached from behind the sacred desk? Do we simply tune it out the moment we have closing prayer? What evidence is there in these past three days to demonstrate how we've been, we put to practice the principles we heard this past Sunday? What evangelistic opportunities have we taken since the last church service? Oh, dear friends, if we're ever going to go forward as our theme is, for Christ in this Bay Area, we must take on the personal responsibility to submit to the spiritual authorities in our lives. God will not bless where his commands have not been obeyed or his name exalted. If we are to have a proper resolution, we can abide with the good old days. We cannot abide with the old, good old days mentality. We must recognize and we must acknowledge that we have sinned against the holy God, confess and repent of our sin. And if we have some relationships among perhaps maybe our fellow believers or family members, our spouses, our children, we must reconcile those relationships as well so that we do not give any place from which the devil can operate. Oh, friends, I see a misplaced attention. If we're going to beware the good old days, beware also we must have a proper resolution. But I'm thankful to tell you tonight, friends, is also in closing some preventative measures that we can take. Each year when I have my annual checkup, my doctor always reminds me, AJ, be sure to eat healthy and exercise for an, exercise for an ounce of prevention is always better than a pound of cure. <laughs> and that's great as he has his donut sitting there on his desk. You know, I found that there are usually three basic steps in a preventative measure. There's the purging aspect, replacement, and then the adding or the modifying, right? That is adding different exercise to my routine, modifying how often I drive to and from work, choosing to walk from time to time, etc. We know there's certain things in our lives, right? If we're gonna, if we're, we know that our, there's certain foods we should not be eating. One thing, I, uh, um, it's funny, and for any of you folks who have ever seen a nutritionist, um, we know what's the right kind of foods, right? But our nutritionist is there to keep us accountable. Hey, Mrs. Tadiarka, how you been doing? Have you, um, and they, of course, you can try and lie. But when they take your blood tests, you take your samples, it says, hmm, let's see here. Either you are just um, supernaturally producing sugars within your own body, 
or somehow it's being consumed. You tell me, Mr. Tadiarka, I believe in miracles, but I don't believe that God is, you know, imputing sugar into your blood system. Oh, friends, can I tell you? Don't don't tell us that. It's, hey, to purge, but you've got to replace. It's not enough to simply say, hey, don't eat. (laughs) Now, I'm not, why not? There is a place for fasting. When you have um, a great need before God, I believe, friends, it takes a spiritual person to know when to pro- how to properly fast and pray. The Bible makes it very clear there are certain things in this world and certain requests that only, can only be answered by prayer and fasting. If you've never been in a place where you felt the need to do so, I tell you this, friends, oh, don't wait for that hour. Don't wait for those moments. I'm grateful for in those, in those days, they are dark days. But in those moments you find and you starve your flesh you come to find and you become more in tune with not only your spiritual needs, but with a God who can provide and fill the void that only he can. Oh, in our spiritual lives, we must do the same, friends. In order to purge, we must first beware the old nature. Did you hear me tonight? If you're going to purge, you've got to beware the old nature. As my nutritionist told me, Ms. Tadiarka, let me tell you this, and of course it, it's interesting enough, uh, they, can, they have like a 35-page booklet that tells you how bad sugar is, refined sugar is for you, and they have like three pages how good broccoli is for you, right? I'm like, well, doc, this has more pages, and all being a little facetious, of course. But he said, hey, no, no, sir, you have to understand, you have to beware. These are all the actual counts. None of these are hypothetical. And if you want to... Have the kind of energy and the strength to be with your children as they get older. Of course, they always play that card, don't they? Right? If you don't want to be that 40-year-old who's in a wheelchair at their kid's baseball game. (laughs) Thank you for painting that picture for me, doctor. But friends, isn't it amazing to us? What are they trying to warn us? They're telling us to beware. You continue down this path. Here are the definitive measurable results. And they can give you a time frame, can't they? You continue down this path, six weeks, you'll see. You do, you, now you take our course of action, you get rid of refined sugars, you replace it with more leafy greens, you, you eat the right kind of food, you increase your exercise and make sure, and so I guarantee you in this amount of time, you'll start seeing a change. And of course, naturally as you do so, and it's hilarious, I kind of feel like the children of Israel, I'm feeling better, I'm sleeping better, having more energy throughout my day, and yet I'm still upset with my doctors for being right. <laughs> hey doc, tell you what I'm getting up at 5 o'clock every morning without an alarm clock and goodness gracious wouldn't you know it I've been going to the gym and I'm increasing my strength what in the world is going on <laughs> the one thing he complains is doc I'm upset with you why is that I have to, get, I have to take all my clothes to a tailor he says well good on you he says no you don't understand I've been wearing these clothes for years And it's hilarious, right? You, and I'm, I'm being a little facetious with you folks. But I want you to take it from this perspective. We understand what it, how all the benefits of a healthy life physically is, right? And I, I, I would be sincerely, I want to say this as sincerely as possible, but to say it as kindly as possible as well. We need to do even so much the more regarding our spiritual lives. Can I tell you this, friends? Sure, you, in your spiritual lives, you, we may not be able to see, look into a mirror. But I dare say, if we were to able to pull up a spiritual microscope or a spiritual x-ray, I believe that so many churches across America would find amongst their congregations spiritually anorexic Christians. And as such... The reason for this is because we don't beware our old nature. Take your Bibles and me, Romans chapter number 7, if you would, please. I don't believe anybody writes it best in such a more straightforward way than Paul does to church at Rome. In Romans chapter number 7, beginning verse number 14. Here's what he said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not. 
For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I, do I. If, I. if I then do that which I would not, I consent to the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I do not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Do you see that, friends? You see how it is? Perhaps maybe you even you experienced it this morning. On your way to work, perhaps, or on your way to class, to school. And you knew you needed to get up and spend that time with God. But what was it? Oh, for the will within me is there. Your left leg is complaining to your right leg. You get out today. I got out first yesterday. We used to have an ongoing joke at Bible college to nickname our bunk beds visitation. So that when we missed our first hour class, we tell, where were you? I was uh, out on visitation. <laughs> More like out cold. Well, friends, can I tell you this? If we do not beware the old nature... It will constantly ambush you at every decision, every reaction, and get this, and every interaction that you make. I believe it wholeheartedly even more so much the more now than I did 10, 20 years ago. That my time with God is so vitally important. For if I do not spend that time with him, then not only I, but all those who have influence by me or with whom I get to serve would be adversely affected. Friends, when we are made aware of our sinful tendencies, then we can be reminded that we cannot conquer it without the power of Christ in our lives. Romans 13, 14 tells us, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You see, there's only two options here. You're either putting on Christ or you're making provisions for the flesh. There is no middle ground. I think we have a false idea that, well, you know what? I keep my, uh, part of my armor on. I'm somewhat holding on to my faith. I've got my helmet on. It doesn't work that way, friends. You either have it or you don't. Can I tell you this, friends? We must not only beware the old nature, but, friends, we must then proceed each day with the Lord. Psalm 63, 1 tells us, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Oh, you cannot have God in all your thoughts, friends, throughout the day. Nor can you have him, his mind in every matter if you do not intentionally precede your day with him. I think it was John Bunyan that stated... The man that does not start his day with God shall scarcely find him throughout it. Are we hungry for God, beloved? Do we, as David wrote, thirst after him as our flesh would thirst being out in a dry and thirsty land? I, don't, I wonder how many of us have ever been so parched that even a small... It's hilarious. It's inter interesting. I was... Uh, Recently had a, a training session and had my water bottle. This thing is a 40-ounce canteen. And the person who came up with me pulled out, you know, one of those, one of those I think it's, what, a six-ounce? It's not even a full cup. Those six-ounce, six um, you know, Lord's table type of cup. <laughs> Presbyterian baptism going on here. And as such, and he's like, well, is that going to quench your thirst? And mind you, we're training hard. We are sweating he probably has produced more sweat than he, there is water consumed in one little six-ounce bottle. But here lies in the problem, friends. We are all, all too comfortable with the convenience of that six-ounce bottle. Aren't we? Oh, there's my six ounces today. Look, I got more bottles than you do. Friends, we need to proceed each day with the Lord. There is a proper formula to being blessed by God and a blessing to others. And it all starts with proceeding each day with the Lord. i got to move quickly. Notice here, let us see. We must then perpetually recall God's blessings. 
Notice how I, I started this, friends. We must perpetually, we must continually, we must be determined to recall God's blessings. Paul writes a pretty good guideline to the church at Philippi that we should incorporate into our lives. Let's read it here in Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse number 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing, verse number 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, notice this, friends, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard in, and seen in me, do. And uh, notice the, the, um, the verse here. Verse number 6, it says, the, the peace of God. Now in verse number 9, it says here, the God of peace shall be with you. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Oh, friends, can I tell you this? You cannot have contentment without godliness. At least not lasting contentment. Notice with me here are some characteristics, if you will. And if, you, if I can say this, friends, help you out. If, you, if we're going to have some preventative measures, here is a clear guideline for every Christian life. First of all, verse number four, you ought to ask yourself this question. Can I rejoice in the Lord right now despite my circumstances? You want to be blessed, friends. Man, I'll tell you what. Recently, I was in the oncology department talking to some people here. And have, there was four people getting chemotherapy, having a prayer meeting. And Brother Justin, man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I have never felt such a small man than I did in their presence. Here they are, weak and feeble. And yet, they, I've never heard such powerful prayers. And guess what? They weren't praying for themselves. They were praying for everybody else on that floor and for the doctors and for the nurses. They were praying for somebody that somebody with the gospel would come and give gospel tracts and give, the, and give the, the gospel to somebody who is needy. And there I was, a preacher. There for that very act. God had already sent the answer before I even knew they were praying for it. Can I rejoice in the Lord right now despite my circumstances? Notice verse number 6. Ask yourself this question. What is it that's making me anxious? The Bible says be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Be sure to lift up everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Everything must be predicated with thanksgiving, friends. If you, got, you can't say, God, thank you for it, then you've got to ask yourself, Lord, what lesson do you have for me this time? Verse 8 tells us that we ought to refocus your thoughts on that which is true. Honest, just, lovely, good, a good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. You know, it's amazing, my friends. Often the, we can do away with a, um, a complaining rhetoric. If we would simply but change our thought process and watch it now, we'd also change our language. And I'm not talking about, well, is my glass half empty, half full thing. No, I'm talking about, Lord, it's not just like, oh, okay, I'm here. So, Lord, thank you that I am here. What great truths do you have for me so that I might be a blessing to somebody else? Verse 9 teaches us that we ought to meditate upon the Word of God and determine to do it. He says those things which you have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, all that will be for naught if we don't do it. We must appropriate its truths and principles, friends. And then in verse number 11, when we are mindful of God's blessings, the result will be an attitude of gratitude. Did you hear that, friends? I like what Dr. Mark Rasmussen always told us in class. Thoughtfulness leads to thankfulness. Problem is, we think so much about our problems than we do about the blessings of God. We must note, however, this is a learned behavior. So how about it, friends? We've seen the problem with the good old days, mentality. It's that of a misplaced attention. And we must beware some practice to avoid developing it. We've also seen how we can have a proper resolution. When we are out of fellowship with the Lord and complaining seems to be the predominant demonstration of our hearts and our actions. We've also seen some preventative measures that we can implement so that we can minimize these incidents in our lives and go forward for Christ. I ask you this, friends, in closing. What's stopping you from having a victorious Christian life right now? From this moment on, the journey through the 40 years in the wilderness, friends, 
They were promised to go into Canaan land, for which for us, friends, is not heaven. You know what it is? The victorious Christian life. And mind you, the very first thing that, that, that fought against them, tried to attack them from behind, was the flesh, the Amalekites. How about it? God is greater. Forget the good old days. And let's seek to go forward for God's glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? <coughs> Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for tonight. Lord, I thank you so very much for these, your people, and our, the working here in our midst. I thank you so much, Lord, for just giving me, Lord, enough enablement within my voice and, and my thoughts here tonight. But Lord, I also do pray right now that you continually hold the attention of these, your people. Tonight, Father God, perhaps right now, even as I pray, there are certain areas and in, in, uh, perhaps very private areas in individuals' lives with which, Lord, you are working. And Lord, the, the Holy Spirit's conviction is at work even now. I pray, Lord, that the devil have no place here, that we have no distractions that might prevent the working during this invitation time. Lord, we acknowledge that in and of ourselves we are incapable, we're unable, and we're powerless. But God, we are also so thankful that God, despite our frailty, our inability, we have the power of Christ within us to do things far greater, so much greater, so that when the world sees it accomplished, they have no else, nothing else but to say. That's the working of God. This is marvelous in our sight. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our sight. Oh, Father, tonight I pray you work during this invitation time. Perhaps, Lord, there might be somebody here who's out of fellowship with you. I pray, oh God, that tonight they might reconcile that relationship. Maybe, Lord, it might be a, a, Lord, a, a relationship between a spouse. Perhaps, Lord, maybe a parent to a child or a child to their parents. Whatever it may be, I pray, O oh Father God, the Lord will get that right with you. And Lord, we'll do away with a carnal mindset that seeks to complain when we, there is no cause for it in our own lives. That, Lord, we might, move, might go forward and, Lord, experience a godly, Christian, victorious life. For it's not only what you desire of us, but, Lord, there are people in our lives, perhaps maybe tomorrow or in our near future, that need to see it in order to come to see the knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you bless us now if we ask in Christ's name? Amen.